Turmoil is in the streets. In major cities across the country, there is civil unrest. As if the world could not become any more divided, the perennial problem of race in America has once again crashed onto the national scene. As has so often been the case, people have divided into camps. Very little room, if any at all, has been made for middle ground. Allies for justice have risen from all corners of American life, but many have come under fire for merely putting up an act. And while these actions ought to be condemned, fear of being called a performative ally has paralyzed otherwise well-meaning people from taking part in the collective cry for justice. In this bonus episode, we ask, what does performative activism look like? Does performative justice hurt corrective efforts? What motivations for pursuing justice are legitimate? Should allies for justice, specifically racial justice, be a monolith? All this and more on this edition of Questions from the Pew. Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalametta. I'm Lucas Manning. And here we are. Yeah. We're episode jo- 2.5. 2.5. Are we going to market <laughs> it as 2.5? <laughs> I have no idea. I think, we're, uh, going, we're going by decimal points. <laughs> <laughs> we are joined today by uh, two uh, co-hosts, Emily Alexander and Jeline Leva. Um, they are part of the World Outspoken team, the ministry organization that we're, that Questions from the Pew is a part of. Uh, so we're glad to, to have them here with us uh, to talk about a very important topic, a uh, very appropriate topic for uh, all that's happening in the nation uh, currently. Mm. Uh, so maybe uh, if you two could just tell us, uh, yeah, a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, education, you know, what you're doing right now and uh, what kind of things you, um, you're both writers for World Outspoken, but yeah, what kind of things you tend to to write about, that sort of thing. Uh, Emily, do you want to go first? Yeah, that's great. Thank you, guys. Um, so my name is Emily Alexander, and I am originally from a small rural um, southern town and moved to Chicago four and a half years ago. I did my undergrad at Moody Bible Institute in ministry to women, and I now work in social media in the nonprofit sector, um, and then I also create content for Well Outspoken. And I enjoy writing about um, issues that kind of bridge the thinking between the rural and the urban um, settings and um, just cultural issues pertaining to that. That's great. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Jillian? Yeah, hi, uh, so great to be here. Um, so my name is Jalene. I am also a content uh, writer for World Outspoken. Um, I'm actually relatively new. I just started on this year. Um, I have a very similar story. And of course, there's a, a little bit where there's um, like a little bit of change from Emily's. Um, I also went to Moody Bible Institute. So that's where I um, kind of got connected with World Outspoken. Um, but before that, I was actually in Florida. My parents are immigrants from the Philippines, and they had settled in Florida, Tampa, Florida, um, prior to, to me being born. Um, and for undergrad, I went to Moody um, in Chicago. And then after that, I had moved my way to the West Coast, the Golden Coast of California. That's where I'm located now. Um, I'm currently getting my Master's of Arts in Theology degree at Fuller Theological Seminary, where I also work as a recruitment manager. Um, but right now, my uh, my main focus is getting that degree um, in theology, um, with a specific focus on ethics and prophetic ministry. So, yeah, glad to be here. Nice, that's great. That's great. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the, the main question before us uh, today is um, one that I think uh, a lot of people are maybe asking uh, in the back of their minds. Uh, regarding uh, just a lot of the, the civil unrest, the turmoil, uh, especially centered around uh, the racial tension uh, in our country. And the main question that we'll be talking about is this, what is performative justice or performative activism? 
and how do I avoid it while helping? So how can I help but help well? Um, and uh, why us <laughs> and why our guests, Jolene and Emily? Uh, so for our listeners, we're not a part of the black community directly, uh, but we do represent different communities that can position themselves as allies. Um, obviously male, female, white, brown, urban, suburban, rural, all those things play into um, how we can ally ourselves uh, with a community that's hurting uh, currently. Um, so let's just dive right in, uh, I guess. So big question is, you know, what is performative justice or activism? How would you how would you define it? Um, and I guess anybody can <laughs> kind of jump in. We'll, we'll treat this as a sort of roundtable. I guess coming as a guest, I would be actually interested to hear what you as the host um, would mm -hmm. would dis describe or define as, as performative justice. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of go into a little bit of at least what we were thinking uh, when it comes to this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing is, uh, I guess the, the sentence I wrote down is self-interested assent to a widely held cause for personal gain, be it social, economical or political uh, or political. Um, so that mean, I mean, it's anything from, you know, Amazon releasing a statement of Black Lives Matter, um, which that's great. But the question is, like, how is Amazon going to follow that up with any action or is it? I would say, you know, following up um, support for a cause with like actually uh, with actually doing, you know, actionable items. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's great. That's like pursuit of justice, but assent to a cause because it affects your bottom line. Uh, like for a lot of these corporations uh, or even even churches uh, or like uh, social media influencers, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's what we're talking about uh, when it comes to performative justice. And I think I think it's a bit of a, I guess, a distraction because a lot of times those who are not on the justice and righteousness program, uh, to borrow the phrase from oh, good old Amos, the prophet Amos, <laughs> Anyway, those who aren't on that uh, like program will attack these performative justice types and saying, you know, you're only doing this for, you know, this reason, that reason. It's it's a self-interest. Uh, it's a pursuit of self-interest via kind of the avenue of these these movements. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. It's not just corporations. It can be individuals. Uh, like I said in the sentence, the gain can be social, economical, or political. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the, I guess, the starting point we were going, coming from. Yeah. I have um, something that I written down as well. Uh, I have taken taking part in activist efforts as a means of increasing personal capital. Uh, again, whether that be social, economic, and all the things that that Luke had had listed. Um, and the key word for me there is yeah that key word performative because um, that just denotes that it's towards a particular audience. Um, and so a lot of that obviously has to do with. I guess motivations, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into later on in in the uh, in the episode. Yeah, I I I think I definitely see um, see the performative um, justice as a form of like social security security of your hmm. your um, personal image or um, yeah, I think that that's what comes to mind um, when yeah listening to y'all talk about those different definitions um but it's definitely a sense i think it's more of a self maybe self-preservation and preservation of one's mm -hmm. image to the world and to mm -hmm. your particular audience mm. Mm, that's good yeah oh i definitely want to be thinking about um your comment emily on uh, self-preservation because i think this conversation kind of comes part and parcel with um, if we want to use another trending word right now or a trending um, phrase, it's, I think, cancel culture. Um, mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. they kind of do work kind of hand in hand. Um, but I am uh, a little, I guess, conflicted with the language of this, um, of this, I guess, issue, this idea of performative justice. I think I told you that um, some of my, my studies uh, within ethics is really looking at um, prophetic you know, prophetic work mm -hmm. and ethical work. And actually a lot of uh, prophetic work is um, performance-based. Um, justice at the end of the day does have an element, a, a, a crucial element of performance. Um, that's what we see in, 
you know, more tangible ways of like protesting. Um, so then to, I think, create this, this language around performative justice and saying that it's, you know, necessarily antagonistic to justice itself, um, I guess is really conflicting for me. I think, um, but given the fact that we're using this language, given the fact that we're using cultural language, um, I think I want to kind of differentiate this idea of performative justice specifically as it pertains to social media um, and the ways that we use um, social media uh, to perform justice. Um, and I think that's where we kind of come to some of this, this, uh, this frustration or the dissonance that we feel between acts of justice and acts of actual justice and then what we may see people projecting on social media, um, as you had said, um, which uh, just kind of affects the bottom line or um, economically affects, you know, people or, or corporations. So I, that's kind of one of the things that I'm, I've been contemplating when I, when I got your question list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe there is a better word. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess that's the phrase that, as you say, the culture is kind of using. But yeah, I think, I mean, you could almost say self-interested justice. It's not real. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not really justice. <laughs> that's like the, that's the thing. Like what we're talking about when mm -hmm. we say performative justice is not justice. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's solely, I guess, self-motivated. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. Perform as in like action, I think is great. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, we need more of that. Mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe that leads us into kind of the second question, which is how does performative justice, or we can say self-interested assent to the cause, <laughs> which is not as a mouthful. Less of a language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll keep it for now. We'll keep it for now. Performative <laughs> justice. I guess, how, how do you see, if we're defining it that way, how do you see, uh, I guess, that affecting the cause or these movements negatively? Yeah, I think, I guess, um, probably the most, the one that I'm thinking of um, is the the Black Lives Matter, the tile that happened on Tuesday. The, the, am, I, am I getting that right? It was on Tuesday, correct? Blackout Tuesday. Blackout yeah. Tuesday. Blackout Tuesday. Um, yeah. And just a very tactile example would be um, when people were posting that, um, you know, for whatever reasons, I mean, we're not necessarily talking about motivations, but just the actual act of posting. Um, mm -hmm. When they added the hashtag, or a lot of people were arguing when they added the hashtag Black Lives Matter, um, it actually kind of like overwhelmed the, that hashtag so that, you know, people couldn't actually see some of the posts that activists or, you know, more, um, you know, mm -hmm. people who are trying to get information out there about the movement or, or issues specific, specified to the movement, it was kind of um, convoluting that, uh, that stream. So I think that's, that's kind of just a very, you know, a small way to see the ways in which it, it is unhelpful. Um, it's kind of centering yourself um, in a way that might not be helping the actual cause that you're trying to help. Right. Wanting people to know that you're in line with the cause is actually hurting the cause. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, that's kind of an interesting example because it was very, uh, it's almost like a miscommunication. Like the the idea of it was good, yeah. but the action of it was like hurting actual activists' work. But yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, performative activism and justice as we define it, um, it only deals with the problem superficially. At the end of the day, when the problem is at root, it's a heart. It's an internal problem. Um, so that whole aspect of um, of putting up a front um, just to increase your your social standing your your social capital it doesn't really it, yeah it might not do anything to to help the the movement progress uh, but yeah I, I would say it would it does harm the movement because it it prevent it uh, I guess it bears the movement down right so it's 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 another weight for it to bear and it's slowing down the, the progress that could be made um, if that wasn't the case, if people were legitimately and authentically, mm -hmm. genuinely, um, you know, posting and um, because they were actually, they had stake 
in the movement itself. Right. And I think we see that in ministry generally as well, that self-interested ministry isn't um, maybe as fruitful or um, it inhibits the work of the Holy Spirit if we're seeking after our own gain in all kinds of ministry. And so I think we can maybe, yeah, just look to our own experiences in ministry as ministry leaders to see that self-interested acts of justice aren't going to be fruitful and they're going to hinder the actual work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, the couple of things I said is just one, it, it distracts from the conversation. So those who are opposed to justice and righteousness program, uh, it's an easy thing to point out and see, see like this movement is just full of those people who are just trying to benefit themselves. So I think that's one thing. And then two, I think it can sometimes ease the conscience of the people doing it. So, you know, I posted a little black square on the Instagram thing. So I'm good. Like I did it. Like I, I have officially done my duty as a, you know, whatever. So I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything that y'all said. Yeah. I think, it does do harm, even if it's like cursory, you know, it's not directly confronting maybe the cause, but it, but it is, you know, affecting it in a negative way. Yeah. And that's part of the, that's, that's part of the problem of of people falling into this, this sort of performative aspect of activism. Um, so easily that kind of moves into our third question, but it's that because everyone can agree that justice is a good thing right but the the fear there hopefully yeah right the the fear maybe maybe that's a naive or too optimistic view of humanity right but um but the the issue there is uh, i think there's a fear there of being cast out of the tribe mm-hmm. right so there's the there's the need there to or there's a felt need to um to show a badge of honor i guess mm. to 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 show hey i'm i'm with you even though the, the that person posting might not fully understand what's at stake when they post it or mm. what goes um what mm. goes along with posting a black uh a black square on their instagram page mm-hmm. uh, so there's that fear there of being yeah cast right. out Well, that's one, I think that's one important clarification to make is I don't want to scare people from Mm -hmm. saying things on social media and, you know, whatever, having conversations with people because they're scared they're going to like say the wrong thing. So like making a mistake, um, like, you know, just saying the wrong words or not saying it right. I do that all the time. And sometimes I get reprimanded on it many times. Uh, Sometimes I'm like, you're right. That was terrible in the moment. Other times it takes me a couple hours or a couple of days to go. That was stupid. Uh, you know, and I shouldn't have done that. So I think that's where one thing I don't want this podcast to do is to just discourage people from getting involved because like, well, I just don't know what to say. You know, I don't want to do performative justice. So I'm just I'm not going to do it. Um, I mean, I think my main thing and and the demographic where I'm from, all I'm trying to do is get people into the program in the first place. (laughs) And then, you know, once they're on that program, you know, we can work on Uh, you know, I don't think performative justice is a problem if they're actually within the program. what you what you are even chew not even in the digest stage but chew what you just said mm. um, because I think that's also that was one of my fears when I heard when you told when you guys told me that this is what you wanted to talk about this this idea of performative justice and um, kind of the just the way that people view it as as and I think I, I mentioned this very like a little bit earlier um, this idea of cancel culture that it's like oh if we you know if we find you 
committing the sin of performative justice and you are canceled from, you know, my social media or, you know, which can feel like, like being canceled in a person's life. You know, if you, they unfriend you or they unfollow you, it's like, oh, that's like a, a direct statement on how they understand me as a person or understand me as a, mm. you know, as an individual in their life. And, and they think that I'm not worthy to, you know, that's something that I've done has offended them or, or is unworthy of their, um, of being on, you know, their social media. So I think that I want to be really careful about, um, about how we talk about this just because I got, like, you know, kind of what you were saying, Lucas, um, I don't want people to think that this means that you shouldn't mm-hmm. be a part of, of learning and, and be a part of um, even movements, even if you're not quite necessarily ready to interject. And um, kind of what I was talking about, like prophetic performance, um, one of the things that a prophet does when he, you know, participates in what they call, um, you know, they call prophetic drama or prophetic performance, um, one of the the main parts of that is to get people involved into that. Um, even if it's just the question of what are you doing, you know, what are you doing um, by, you know, picking up this stone and carrying it? Like, what, what does that mean? That's, that's, that's kind of allowing an audience to be a part of that performance. And, um, and that's welcome. That's supposed to be the way that, you know, performative prophetic performance does kind of initiate justice within its community. Yeah. Do you mind giving us like maybe a, like a biblical or if there's another example uh but like an example because i think it does relate to like protest it's kind of the same it's like a symbolic showing of solidarity or making a point so yeah maybe an example might be helpful yeah yeah uh, i mean we see this uh, you can open up you know any pro- prophetic book um, ezekiel jeremiah and just find an example of of a prophet you know doing prof- a prof- what we what they call prophetic drama um or yeah, prophetic drama, I think is what it's specifically called. Um, and really just trying to get insight, some kind of question from an audience. So, you know, one example is in uh, the book of Ezekiel. He um, feels like he feels compelled um, to one day pick up his his backpack and pretend like he's, you know, going back, you know, pretend like he's a um, he's like an immigrant in, in his own, own home or, or to really kind of just show that he doesn't belong um, to kind of just speak into the impending doom of the kingdom. Um, but, you know, the the audience of the people that he's doing this performance for doesn't know that that's what he's doing. So they're, they're asking him, like, dude, what are, you, what are you doing here? You know, why are you picking up your, uh, your backpack, pretending like you're a homeless person and putting a hole in your, you know, in your in the wall of your house uh, as if you have to escape? What, do you, what are you trying to do? What does this mean? Um, which then incites the, the prophet, of course, to respond to them and say, this is what this means. This is how this prophecy is going to take place. Um, so part of that is performance and part of the, I'm not saying that's performative justice, but that, again, this idea of performance um, is, it is supposed to be kind of that give and take um, between the the one who has a little bit more knowledge to the people who, who have less um, and I, I, I kind of wish and, and, and hope that, you know, we could evolve in our days of social media to, to have a little bit more of this kind of, this kind of dialogue. Um, but I don't know if we're, if we're quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think social media, the way it's used, it just makes it very, makes it all too easy to, uh, to reject what message is being carried by the performative act. Right. It's 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 as easy as clicking a button to unfriend or unfollow uh, a person. And that effectively just shuts down. um, Yeah. Shuts down the conversation. Yeah, I think it's indicative of of to how we kind of approach social media. I think I I see Emily wanting to talk. So I want to I want to kind of stop talking and let her speak. (laughs) No, I love I love what you said about um, inciting a question. And I wish I wish that was the posture that we took. And I'm just being challenged hearing that in I I've spent a lot of time in the last like month or so thinking through what what is my role? What should I say? How do I influence my the people I come from in my home demographic on um, these issues? And I think inciting questions is also what Jesus did. Right. So he he used stories and he and he incited questions and um I've actually seen one of my um, family members do that with his social media posts. And it's, 
I'm just connecting the dots now. And I wish that we had as believers um, and ministry leaders, uh, that context as we go into our social media feeds to incite questions that are thoughtful, um, not a, you know, why did you post that? Why do you, why do you support this? Why do you support that? But um, yeah, to prompt people towards deeper thinking. Well said. Yeah. So, so what, I guess kind of still along these lines and what motivations, I think key question is what motivations for pursuing justice are legitimate? Right. Well, I'm, I mean, that is an interesting, like the motivation question is just an interesting question. One, because it's been used a lot to essentially avoid action. It's like, well, my vote, my motivations are in the right spot. Um, I mean, even this is used to explain away like some of the injustice that you see. It's like, well, I don't have any ill will towards these people. Um, so, you know, I'm not responsible. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, the motivations question I think is a very important question, but I also, I think we should also talk about it with an awareness that it can often be used just, just to shut down the conversation Mm -hmm. entirely because, Hey, my motivations are in the right spot. So, and obviously there's no way to prove or disprove that. (laughs) Mm Yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm actually looking at the question, the two the two questions that you had just posed, which was what about the human condition makes it easy to fall into performative justice? And then what motivations for pursuing justice are legitimate? And I actually, I want to take a little bit of a, of a backtrack on that question, because I think um, I really do think that performative justice, as we're talking about it, would be necessarily impossible or, or very difficult Maybe I'll, I'll try and even change my language so it's not so extreme. Um, without the medium of social media, as we understand it today, I think social media kind of primes or conditions us to, to think of ourselves in a certain way. And I, you guys actually kind of spoke into this in the beginning in your introduction. Um, you guys were talking about um, the way that it affects our bottom line when we when we do performative justice or the way that we can self-promote um, or the way that we, uh, you know, can economically gain from it, whether you're a corporation or even um, my favorite was uh, Reichert. You had mentioned a few times this idea of social capital. Um, now, having done a little bit of study in ethics, it, it doesn't take very long to realize that those those uh, the theme within those ideas, they're all economic. They all speak into this idea that we have some kind of uh we ascend some kind of value that um, is within this, you know, this this idea, this this faith in 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 an economic system, um, in our modern society, and that's just not how human beings are are supposed to be thought of. Like we are supposed to understand us, ourselves first and foremost as the image of God, you know, not necessarily, you know, people with a, you know, a price tag on our heads and our our actions shouldn't then be part and parcel of that price tag. It should be specifically, how are we animating that image of God in the way that we live our life? Um, And I think, again, social media does kind of prime us to this idea. Um, It primes us to this idea that you're as good as the followers you get. You're as good as the money you can make. You know, you're as good as, um, you know, how how you can advertise yourself or uh, my favorite language in that it's not actually my favorite language um, on this idea is, is this idea that you have a personal brand, you know, um, mm-hmm. that you can brand yourself. Um, that's not the way that we're supposed to understand human beings. Um, and if we fall into that trap, I think that's the way that we fall into performative justice. Because really, I think performative justice is actually a petty way or a cheap way of doing justice. And that's where I think a lot of people have frustrations with that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think it's too, it's often motivated if we're kind of keeping in with Jillian's backtracking there with like the heart motivation. Um, I think that it's often motivated by guilt and it is, uh, um, I think relational capital in social media is also pretty huge. Um, and sometimes that equals dollars. Sometimes it it's just when you're concerned about um your followers and people liking you and um, friends, family, or a larger following. And I think that um, there is this sense, um, especially speaking like as a white person with the sense of guilt, shame, not fully understanding the situation, um, not fully maybe being 
um, educated on the issues that you feel like you need to, um, yeah, kind of that honor badge you all are saying. And um, yeah, keep that relational capital with people that you care about or people you are told you're supposed to care about um, by making a post or, um, and I think that, I think that sense of guilt also drives um, performative justice in that way. It, it's an easy out. It's an easy way to kind of like remove that sense of guilt from your conscience and move on. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And I right. think you kind of hit on this idea that justice is not, you don't arrive at justice and you're not a, you're not at a place where you're like, I, I've got it. Like I have the, I have, you know, figured out the, the answer to, to, you know, morality and justice. If that was the case, I don't think we would be where we are right now because, you know, obviously there was one person who knew what that was, but, um, you know, it's very difficult for us to, to really, to really kind of hold that, that full idea. So we have to kind of think of justice as this upward, you know, this kind of perpetual upward mobile train that we, we do have to, to be okay with not having arrived and, and having made mistakes. Um, so I think that's another thing we have to take into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are, yeah, that's just really good stuff. Um, yeah, I think as far as the, you know, what motivations are actually, you know, legitimate, we've talked a little bit about, uh, I guess some pitfalls with motivation and that kind of thing. Um, and one thing that has helped me, uh, is, uh, a professor at Wheaton, uh, Dr. Daniel Carroll, uh, he talks about, he's half Guatemalan, half white, spent a lot of time in, in Guatemala as a child and as an adult. Um, and kind of his phrase, well, he talks about as a biblical exegete or really anything, anyone who's doing work uh, in this area, you have to decide why you're doing what you're doing. What is like the motivating factor? Uh, nobody does it just to do it. Even even us type fives on the Enneagram who like to think we do. Uh, but really, the phrase he has is for mi gente, which in English is like for my people. Um, so, I mean... It's an interesting thing to apply that, I guess, to myself, who's, you know, just a good old white male exegete. Uh, and I guess, obviously, there's like terrible, you know, atrocities and injustice happening in this country, and that should be motivation enough. But one motivation, I guess, that I think white people can also take up, and white Christians especially, is to like actually reform like the white American church. Um, like, I think honestly, the people who I'm talking to mostly are like white Americans, Christians, white American Christians. Um, and so I think that's, I guess, speaking to like your people, I think is a, is an actually, uh, I guess like solid motivation. But yeah, I think that's huge. A lot of times people from home will ask me like, why don't you, why do we always hear like these things about race? And like, you never talk about like abortion, for instance. Um, and abortion is a nuanced issue, but suffice it to say, I'm with them. Like, I think abortion, you know, it's pretty, pretty terrible practice, a moral stain on the country. But the nice thing is the white church, the white church mostly thinks it is too. So perfect. Great. The problem is the white church doesn't think that America has a race issue. And so that's where, okay, like we need to actually treat this like the moral stain that it is. Um, so I think having a groundedness in who you are and like who you're talking to is a, I guess a way to, to calibrate, I think, like legitimate motivation. I love that. I love that, Lucas, because that's been just in this last month of processing. I think, as I mentioned earlier, what's what's my role as a white woman in this conversation? What's my place? And um, taking the posture of a listener and a learner um, from my friends of color and um, from ministry leaders that I've um, been mentored by who are people of color um, but then speaking to my own people and taking um, just exactly how you said it this isn't something um, my home people from rural southern um, town I'm from um, care about or the church there is um, addressing and growing in and so um, I think I've just in the last two weeks like learned oh this is where this is the space I speak into this is um, the conversations I put myself in with my family my extended family um, this is and I think that yeah I just really think that's a, a good motivation um, and that's God puts us in the spheres of in 
puts us in our families and our communities for a reason, um, especially as um, yeah, people who are seeking that upward trend. I liked that, Jolene, um, upward pursuit of justice. We've already been kind of circling around the next question, but what are practical ways to avoid performative justice or performative activism? Uh, like, and again, we've kind of been circling around it, but one thing that I think is common to a lot of what we're saying or what we've said so far is the idea of listen first, talk second. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not rushing into it because you feel a pressure to or um, or you know uh, again what gains you can uh, you can get by by speaking up um, because yeah just I think that's just wise um, <laughs> not getting your foot stuck in your mouth especially with uh, with a topic with a conversation as important and as as uh, uh, as grave as this uh, as this one we're talking about Hmm. Yeah, I'm actually going to um, just kind of uh, hone in on some of the some of what you guys are saying and and really just bring this idea that I, I I had just talked to my friend about this. She was talking about how, you know, sometimes people she doesn't feel like reads the articles that they post or, you know, doesn't really realize what's happening um, with or what exactly they're saying when they when they did it like the Blackout Tuesday tile. And I was like, I was like, I think um, what my third grade teacher taught me way back when I was doing math school, like math class or arithmetic class, whatever it's called, um, I think really applies here. Show your work. <laughs> like if you're going to, if you're going to put these, you know, if the, if the least you're going to do is put a tile up or, you know, put an article up, read it, <laughs> you know, read it, make sure that you know what it's saying and, so that way, when people do have questions and um, are ready to dialogue, that you you know the source that you cited, that you know what you're going to be speaking about. Um, that right there is, I mean, it's it's a thing that I see common, and it seems so easy. But if if you're not at least showing your work in that, how can we expect? How can people of color expect you to show your work um, for the bigger things that matter, the bigger p- items of justice, whether it's protesting, calling your representative, those kinds of things. Um, how can we expect that from you uh, without that? Mm. Yeah, that's good. See, math class was needed. Your <laughs> math teacher was right. <laughs> she taught me something. <laughs> she taught me a lot of things. Ms. Thorne, if you're having a lesson. Thank you <laughs> for your service. Yes. Yeah, I mean, one thing which, yeah, I mean, maybe this is controversial. I don't know. But I think... I think the correct emotion when we see some of these things like is anger. Like I think that's the correct emotion. Whereas I think sometimes, and I think I'm speaking a lot to, to my white community. A lot of times our initial reaction is fear. Um, you know, fear of being called a racist, I guess fear of how it might impact our communities, whatever, whatever. Uh, but I actually think the correct emotion is like anger. I think obviously, you know, a lot of times when anger is, is uh, I guess, given physical form, you know, it, it doesn't look the greatest. <laughs> like it's not, often it's not channeled well. But I think that is, I think when we see injustice, we're supposed to be angry. Like, like that should not be happening. Uh, yeah, I think, I think anger might be a justifiable emotion, um, even though oftentimes we feel, our first initial reaction is to feel fear. We all process emotion and, and, and thoughts at different rates, and we process them mm. differently. So, you know, I think, yeah, that gut reaction of unease, at least, when you see a knee pinned down on the back of a man's neck as he's gasping for his last breath, there's an unease there that, 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 that pangs each human's heart, mm. right? 
but what happens after that and how quickly you know people act or or think through these issues man that's going to be different for each person and so we have to be on both sides be very careful about how we converse with one another and how we um how we encourage people to take up the cause Mm. for justice because that's the key word right we want to encourage them to Mm. do that we don't want to Mm. we want we don't want them to feel forced or coerced into that because that that mm. essentially leads them into this idea that we've been talking about of performative mm. activism, I mm. think. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that's, it kind of goes a little bit somewhere in here. We have the question of like, should, <laughs> should like, you know, justice be like, should the front be a monolith mm-hmm. or should it just be uh, kind of unchanging, looking the same in every context? And I mean, the obvious answer is no. Um, but one one distinction I do want to make is it's just this is just personal experience, just what I've seen is a lot of times people will post like, hey, I'm not doing you know, I'm not going to protests and I'm not doing this and that and that. But we all like do some do something different, you know what I mean, for the cause. And it's like, OK, I I'm like totally with that. I think I think that's legitimate. But then it's like, OK, so are you actually mm-hmm. I guess that's like that's like what I would get down to. But yeah, I'm with you and we all process it. Yeah, definitely different. I think I think where the rubber meets the road, it's are you gonna are you gonna get involved with some sort in of whatever action? form that might take? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, or are you not? So yeah, but I'm with you. Yeah, I just I think that hits on like just a a deeper a deeper maybe issue or or need in the church to just have a growth mindset and like um, just discipleship and personal and corporate growth, um, in Christ likeness and, and biblical, um, Christ following is so important. And it, it makes me think of Jolene's like showing our work. Like it's the Christian life is not about, um, just having a set of beliefs. It's about a set of doing with those beliefs. And it's a, it's a pairing of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And, I think that um, growth and growth steps look so vastly different on many issues in everybody's life. Um, we, can, we can take any topic and the next step of growth is going to look very different in my life than your life. And I think being willing, humble and and ready to meet somebody in that next growth step is the best thing that we can do as ministry leaders, but also holding people accountable for that next growth step, whatever that might be. I love that we're talking about in this language of growth. It really just kind of, um, I think it kind of goes into the point that I wanted to make about this. Like I'm looking at the question, the practical ways to avoid performative justice. And I'm almost like, I am a little afraid that people would be afraid to just even try because of that. And we, we talked about that, Lucas, you were saying that. And so I'm almost like, I would rather you, you know, you, you do try to perform, even if that does necessarily mean that you could fail, but change your stance, be ready, be ready to fail, be ready to know that, know that you're probably not going to be a hundred percent right the entire time. And I think um, this kind of goes into something that I've been really, really working on um, in my life, especially when it comes to this idea of maybe not even just performative justice, but when I, when I post on social media and if I happen to, to step on someone's toes or say something that that really just hurts or injures someone. Um, I, I've I've started to really realize that I can we can talk in the language of intent and impact um, instead of saying like, "Hey, I didn't mean to do that, so I'm not wrong," um, but rather really realizing that you know, or even coming to the person and saying, "Hey, this was my intent," but I realized that that might have impacted me differently. How can I change the way that I the, my stance or the way that I've spoken um, in a way that that could could better empathize with your with your scenario, your you know your situation or your context. Um, I think kind of learning to practice these kinds of ways of of being um, of not necessarily being so defensive right away, saying like oh you know I tried and I, I'm you know someone got mad at me and so I'm just I'm just going to give up um, or even you know someone got canceled me or whatever. Um, I think kind of speaking into this practice of saying, okay, like, what was, what was my intent? I, I mean, I meant to do this, but how was it received? And, and IE, how, how did that actually impact? I think if we were a little bit more thoughtful in those ways, we could, we could 
we could avoid, because I'm kind of going against what I was saying, we could avoid uh, performative justice, but it's not 100%, you know, we're always going to mess up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a couple of really good points. I think one, yeah, like, yeah, as far as, I guess, being on the, I, I've coined this apparently, but the Justice and Righteousness program, like, there's a, it's a journey. So, like, for some people who are very involved and have been involved for decades even, uh, obviously, they're at a place where somebody just learning about these things is obviously not there. Um, you know, they're not going to say everything right. Um, and I think that's, that's, like, totally great. If you want to use the metaphor that I was like using this idea of math, I've heard I've heard racial talk in in the same language where it's like, you know, you could be doing advanced algebra, but your brother or sister over here might be still doing, you know, just addition subtraction. You have to kind of be a little bit more gracious to them. They're not going to be able to do, you know, that that advanced level um, and they do just need the help. So I think we do have to be a little more gracious to that as well. For sure. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's growth. And then, like, one thing I think is important that sometimes gets overlooked is, like, I guess just taking criticism. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing to do, especially, like, from, I mean, it's really hard to do taking it from, like, uh, social media. But definitely, like, from those around you. Um, And I think that's where, like, Christians can, like, have an advantage because, like, I guess... Uh, you know, we died to the old man and we lived to the new man. So a lot of it's like humbling ourselves um, and admitting when we've like, whoops, I've made a mistake. So that's like uh, on the part of the, I guess, the offend offender. It's like, oh, I made a mistake. Admit it. Own up to it. And then on the part of the offendee, it's a grace for, you know, grace for the individual. Yeah, I think a common theme I'm hearing from both of you is humility. And I think that that's just... Um, I had two conversations or was a part of two conversations last week and the one was very much intent and impact and the individual spent more time defending his intent than realizing the impact of his words and to see that disconnect was so disheartening because it was a, a space where reconciliation could have happened the opportunity was there but the focus was um there wasn't a humility um enough to realize the impact Um, but, um, yeah, on the flip side, I had another conversation with, um, my, my own father who's, um, yeah, sees differently on these issues than mine. And, um, at the end of the conversation said, wow, thank you so much for sharing your perspective. I never, I never looked at it that way before. I never, um, thought through it through that lens before. And that was so rewarding to me because he's so humble and so he could hear and he could listen. And so I think that as we approach conversations, just like you just said, Lucas, like humility on both on both ends, whether we failed or we're approaching the, yeah, the posture of trying to teach and lead along others. Recognizing, again, like I said at the beginning of the episode, we're all coming from um, different different backgrounds, socioeconomic, ethnic backgrounds, and all all that stuff. Recognizing that we all come from those different backgrounds, but you know that we're striving toward the same goal. What does being an effective ally look for those from your particular community or someone who comes from your uh, from a background that's similar to yours? Uh, um, I think. Uh, a lot of us have kind of hinted at those things and kind of brought about, have talked about what we've done personally. But, you know, f- for someone coming from your context, from your background, who's asking, okay, what does that look like for me? What what would you say? And maybe as a preface, maybe, you know, give a little bit, maybe tease out what your background uh, is and, and why you're saying it. Yeah. 
I realized I didn't give my too much of my ethnic background. So I'm actually Filipino American. Uh, my parents immigrated. What? what? Um, yeah. So uh, me and Riker make up the the two and and Moody at the time that I felt like I knew <laughs> Filipino Americans. Um, so I come from specifically a Filipino American. Um, if you want to call it a racial, I don't usually like to use racial terms because they're much more political in nature. They they don't really understand, you know too much of the humanity of a person, but if you want to give it more of a political bend, it's, it would be Asian American. Um, and if that, that, that obviously kind of broadens uh, the idea of, of who then is allying with, with who. And um, one of the things that I think I struggle with this question is um, when it comes to allyship, uh, Amer- Asian Americans do have a history of, of kind of not being the best ally to African Americans. I'm not saying that that's you know, exclusive or exhaustive. Of course, there's exceptions broad and wide in that. Um, but particularly, you know, in some of my family members, um, there is kind of like a, a tier system. It's like, yeah, we're we're immigrants, but you know, we're not we're not the lowest on the racial totem pole. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the self preservation of that of that kind of that reality or or that political structure that has been made for for us that we kind of live in does kind of make us want to push down on those we think are lower on the racial totem pole to kind of you know maybe we have this idea that we can kind of ascend to, to a higher place um, but the reality is is in in that kind of in that kind of structure and the structure of race that we've created as human beings that is completely wrong again against who God made us to be as people in the image of God, nobody really wins, you know, not the one in the mm-hmm. middle, if you want to call Asian Americans, not the one on the bottom, of course. And I would even argue not, not the, the ones who we would consider on the top um, because we're, we're losing crucial elements of, of, of who we are by, you know, cheapening our reality to this idea of, 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 of racial issues. And so um, I think when I did a little bit more study in Asian American history, especially in Filipino American history uh, or just being Filipino, I realized that I had a lot more in common um, with those oppressed, those who are marginalized, you know, being that um, my last name is a Spanish last name. You know, it's not what we would consider Filipino and Filipino even by nature is that's not a specifically like that, that, that takes its heritage in Spanish, you know, in, in Spanish history, that's the name of the king that came and conquered us, uh, King Philip. So, um, so everything about our heritage, about Filipino heritage, is colonized. Um, even the fact that I am, you know, a colonized person speaking English and cannot speak my native language, my heritage language, that 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 is part and parcel of what it is to be, you know, a person who is is marginalized and, and, and kind of exists in the margins, despite whatever idea the American dream can make me believe. So I think when it comes to allyship, one of the first steps that I had to really, I had to really kind of come face to face with was my own privilege, the ways that I, I thought that I could, you know, ascent into the American dream, despite, you know, the, the color of my skin or the, the idea of, of, you know, being an immigrant, um, over and above, you know, those who are, those who are my African-American brothers and sisters. Um, I had to kind of recognize that and then, and then actually ask what are the ways that, you know, I could be, I could be more of a a person who allies with them or, or speaks into the reality that we, we have a similar background and that we're both losing out in in the system. Um, That was a crucial step for me, I think. And I I see a lot of times within the Asian-American community as well. I think just to piggyback off of what you're saying, Jaleen, uh, given the fact that we're come from a very similar context, yeah, the, the whole idea of the my the model minority that's thrown on Asians, Asian Americans, um, I think far too often uh, people who come from from that background lean into that um, as a means of again, again, like that whole social capital sort of thing right so i think not necessarily yeah sometimes it can be economically friendly to do Mm -hmm. that yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm not 
I think we have to be willing to to like to let go of that. And I, I don't know if I would go so far as to say reject it and, you know, um, yeah, to completely reject it. Because I think that whole idea of model minority uh, is always in the back of um, of, uh, of Asian Americans' minds. And there's a that's almost holding them back from taking part in these sorts of um, efforts to establish justice in society because that's seen in honor shame culture that is much of asia um those kinds of actions protests demonstrations however peaceful they might be aren't seen as honorable if i can put it that way right so maybe holding holding very loosely to that idea of the model uh, minority um concept that whole idea i think uh for people who are coming from our backgrounds, Jolene is would be super helpful in pushing the the move to a more just society. And I would also say I would want to be careful of um, perpetuating, you know, racial racial issues. You know, sure. in in our language, I, I'm sure you were told by your mom, as I was told by my mom, you know, don't go out in the sun because you're gonna get uh, mm-hmm. they call my theme. You're gonna get black. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it perpetuates this idea that the darker you are, the less value you have to your society, the less value you or the less value you are, just period. Um, that that is a perpetuation of race that is not that that is not helpful at all. Um, so I think even you know I've, I've talked to my parents about that and talked to my you know family about that. That that's that's not something that we should we should be saying or even something that we should even believe because that's mm-hmm. not true. Uh, my value has nothing to do with how dark I am. Um, I, hmm. And, and the vice versa. My value has nothing to do with how light I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, in thinking about this, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, um, from rural Southern, um, some like Appalachia um, roots, and definitely Southern as in um, part of the South from like the Civil War. So that definitely influenced my um, views of history and upbringing um, on these issues because um, I was I was raised in a state that still holds to the Confederacy in a lot of ways and in a lot of its um, traditions and celebrations and um, so I think just as um, yeah and trying to think of how allyship and what that looks like for me I think it's in educating um, my home people. Um, I think that that's something that um, specifically I recently read um, Rediscipling the White Church by David Swanson um, as a white white pastor writing to the white church. And I, I really think that my home people need an understanding of their whiteness before they can um, move forward. And I, I've seen that um, in dialogue, on um, social media, and in, in personal conversations, I think that um, just tying into what you said, Jolene, about um, yeah, not not being in the sun and being too too dark. I think that that's that's something that um, yeah, that people from where I was raised don't even see how much their whiteness influences um, their perspective of these issues and. So I think I think education is a piece, and I've seen actually um, one of my brothers do that well. I've seen him take a posture of humility and have hard conversations, but not be afraid to educate and not be afraid to say, "Hey, look at this data, look at this history, look at this," and we need to we need to take relook at ourselves. Um, and that's really encouraged me. And and then I think just encouraging steps of growth in whatever they might be. Um, I think as as a white person, you think, oh, I need I need more diverse friends. That's my first step to like solving this problem. But I think it's it's actually taking a step back and wait, realizing um, what about my perception of myself is contributing to this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's good. Yeah, it is good. I mean, one just observation is that the this conversation is clearly complex. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of different groups, obviously in America. Um, what we were saying earlier about this being a monolith, it, 
clearly is not. Um, that being said, uh, I'm gonna use my five by five here. One, two, three, four, five, five by five. So for those, for our guests and those who don't know, uh, five by five is a part of the show where the Enneagram type five, that's me, gives us five facts, aspects, or tidbits, uh, tidbits that informs or connects with our conversation in a potentially surprising way. Today is not going to be that surprising because <laughs> uh, I'm just going to lay out a few things that I think, uh, this is specifically, I guess, uh, targeted towards white allies. Um, I mean, the first, the first thing that we need to do is get on the Justice and Righteousness program. So if you're not there, I think that's your first thing. Um, but this is for those who, who are. Uh, so number one, I have five do's and don'ts. Number one, educate, don't fabricate. Um, so we have to do the hard work of digging uh, into the resources ourselves, and we can't ground our stance in conjecture. Uh, number two, participate, don't dominate. Uh, so we can join with causes that have already been fighting this, this fight uh, for decades even. Um, obviously, raising your voice is, uh, for justice is wonderful. Uh, but also lift up voices of color uh, that are also uh, saying much the same thing. Um, cite your sources, that kind of thing. Uh, number three is de-escalate, don't reciprocate. And some of these things we've talked about a little bit, but I think uh, in conversations with contrasting views, uh, we have to resist the urge to like label and characterize, uh, or caricaturize, I should say, uh, the individuals or the arguments on the other side. Um, yeah, so just... There's a way to, to give poignant rebukes with love um, and also seeking to understand even, uh, even positions we disagree with. Uh, number four is create, don't replicate. Uh, so I think that we can uh, use whatever capabilities we have uh, in creative ways for the cause of justice. I mean, carpenters, artists, doctors. Um, yeah, there's, there's just tons of creative ways that we, could, that we can do things uh, to help this, help this cause. So I think that's huge. And then lastly, number five, I have abrogate, don't uh, perpetuate. Uh, so abrogate's just fancy word that has eight because I was clearly in the eight <laughs> rhyming. <laughs> Basically, it just means tear down. Uh, so I think that's one thing with white people is we're very uncomfortable when you, uh, when you want to tear down the institutions that have kept us safe and, uh, and secure for literally hundreds of years. Um, so I think, yeah, one thing that we have to be we have to learn to be uh, okay with is tearing down some of those some of those things that need to be torn down, reforming where we can, but where we can't, uh, yeah, starting over. Um, so it's only it's only human to try to maintain those things, uh, but I think that's where Christ and the gospel uh, and scriptures call us to to a higher way, uh, which is to humble humble ourselves, um, yeah, and kind of relinquish power. Uh, so that was a five by five. Um, yeah, I appreciate <laughs> your use of alliteration. Hey, <laughs> Literally when I heard you say five by five, I was like, oh, is he going to pull out a five by five card? <laughs> I would not be surprised if that was on the card. <laughs> cool. So maybe we can just, um, yeah, just uh, land the plane here. Final closing question. You know, uh, despite our, our varying backgrounds and approaches, what do you think unites us even... Uh, you know, as us who are believers, even with non-Christians, as we work towards uh, a just society. Mm. Uh, this is going to be, this is going to seem like a very negative thing. Um, but I'm just going to say, it because I think it is one of the things that unite us, our proclivity to failure, we are all going to mess up. Mm. And I think that there's like, there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in the fact that you haven't arrived, I haven't arrived, uh, but together we're kind of making our way up. Um, that I think is something that I try and remember when I uh, fall victim to social media conversations, which I deplore, but find sometimes that I, I feel compelled to do so. Um, so in those moments when I feel ready to just attack and to pounce, um, I have to remember that in the same way that they have perhaps just messed up and how or how they, they have impacted me or hurt me, I have also um, fallen victim uh, to the to that reality, to, to hurting someone without intending to, um, or to say to saying something wrong. So mm. that's good. Jumping off of that, Jillian, I think for for me, my answer was humanity, and I think that that's part of our humanity, our proclivity to to fail, and um, 
yeah, I just think as, as believers, I think that's just the value of the image of God in, in people. Um, but even more broadly, I just think the value of human life and the value of, um, we value ourselves obviously. And so, um, and then seeing the humanity in other people and in ourselves, I think that, um, that can like unite us in this. I think, um, for me, the, the desire for correction or, or again, justice, the desire to correct what is wrong, whatever that might look like, uh, we might disagree with what needs to be corrected or how it needs to be corrected, but at bare minimum, there's a, there's an innate desire for that. I think among, among all men and women. And I think that's a good starting point for conversations mm. like this or conversations that ought to be happening um, in our society. Yeah, I think one one thing people sometimes use to avoid uh, getting involved is that they don't stand for a lot of the, I guess, like cursory issues that some of these groups represent. Um, and yeah, I think I would just say you don't have to agree with every stance that a group takes or a movement has uh, to still uh, do your part in pursuing the justice that you think needs to be done. Um, yeah, because I know at least uh, like in my community, there's people who are resistant to moves like Black Lives Matter because, you know, they might stand for, for other things that uh, maybe they wouldn't agree with. Um, but I don't think that should stop us with engaging with, with people of, of different uh, yeah, backgrounds, religions, uh, even viewpoints, political ideologies, uh, if we are on the same team uh, as far as pursuing like racial justice. Cool. Well, great. I think that's a good uh, good note to end on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being on the show, yeah, y'all. Thanks, Julie. Thank thanks, you. Emily. My pleasure. Yeah, of course, um, for our listeners, you can read uh, a lot more of Emily and Jolene's work on world.spoken it's just world.spoken.com i think yeah world.spoken.com um we'll obviously link that in in the show notes as well um uh, but yeah thank you thank you for listening to our episode today you can find us on patreon um if you have the means and and love our content feel free we'd love to uh, have your support there Uh, but obviously if you can't support us financially uh, you can always give us a rating on itunes or whatever platform you're listening on Uh, And that just is a great help to us, helping others to find our podcast. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Also, please go ahead and comment and ask questions. You can leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, a World Outspoken podcast. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.world.spoken.com. For questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalametta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Yeah.